gauge almost every, most of the records I've done in the last 16 years by what child was born. <laughs> the, the emo record was my, my first daughter, and that's 16 years old. Then my second sort of under my own name solo record was Goodnight Unknown, and that was the year that my son was born, and he's 11. And then Embrace the Wave was the year before my my youngest daughter was born. And then I put out this an EP called Apocalypse Fetish that she's on the cover of when she was. I did the sessions. Well, I did the sessions just after she came, after she showed up. I assume that's a coincidence, right? <laughs> the timing on all this. It is actually kind of a coincidence. I mean, so and she just turned five. So I would say that it's been five years since I put out a solo record also like but that was an ep how do you sort of split up your time when it comes to all these different projects i mean in the case of dinosaur sebado i assume that there's more external forces at play yeah i don't know i i, I don't know yeah I mean, <laughs> like dinosaur junior yeah it's like i know that it's i always know it's coming you know there's we we go through cycles you know there's a we'll do a dinosaur junior record and then jay mascus will do a solo record and then we'll tour until we can't, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll basically run a cycle all the way through. We'll do a couple of U.S. tours anyways. So I always know it's coming. Yeah, and I just try to fill in the periods in between Dinosaur. That's kind of my largest, my biggest commitment. So I just try to fill in the time in between that. And I try to plan that out a little bit in advance, you know. I guess I don't feel like I have a lot of trouble doing that. But I mean, is Sebado still a, a going concern in the same sort of way the Dinosaur is? No. I mean, just because, I mean, Sebado, we, you know, that record came out and the last one we did, I mean, that was, that was what, 2018 or 2019, maybe 2000, I can't, God, I can't remember. I think it was 2018, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, but that actually, we were, we, we would have done a lot more touring had the, had the, you know, pandemic not happened because we, that we were on tour when that we were actually in Australia and, and Asia when that all hit. And then, and that effectively cut off all that touring. And now, you know, I mean, I've, I gotta, I gotta go with Dinosaur Jr. now. Just in terms of like, that's what's coming up or in terms of like, that's just a thing that people will, you know, come out for and buy records for. Well, it's just, it's just my next, it's my commitment. You know I mean? I, I'm as invested in that as I am in Dinosaur in Sebado. So. There is sort of an assumption though, after the last Sebado record that there will continue to at least sort of be a cycle there. Yeah. I can't really say, I don't know. I guess right now I can't even think about it. I sort of feel, yeah, I just, I mean, I, it's, it's unfortunate that we were cut off that way, but I can't, I don't know if I really want to face a year where I'm touring for a month with, I, I, I got caught into this cycle last time through where it was like, I was ending a dinosaur junior tour and starting a, a Sebado tour two, two days later. And I'm like, I can't, I, I don't know if I can, <laughs> and especially after being home now for a whole year. And I'm like, God, I like being home. You know, <laughs> I like my, I like my life. I like my, I like my life at home. So I don't, you know, I'm not, I don't know if I want to be touring for more than half of a year. There obviously there's a lot of practical concerns, you know, the biggest one having a family, but I assume like at a certain point in your life, it's just sort of difficult on, the body to just to do like two full tours back to back. Well, I mean, I've learned how to live on the road pretty well. You know, like I don't really, like I stop like drinking regularly and all that other kind of stuff, you know, 
I've, I've listened. I've listened to my body. My body had a lot to say about it, and I listened. <laughs> so you know, I've kind of learned that over the last, you know, well over ten years, the balance that I need to do to keep to do that. But um, yeah, I don't know. You know, I just I really like being home. Like, and my kids, you know, they're they out they age. You know, and then they're they're old. <laughs> you know, I'll have plenty of time to be bouncing around the world when my wife can come with me, you know, when the kids are all grown up or whatever. When you put out an, an album like this one, is there an expectation though, that you're going to still have to do kind of a bare minimum of, of touring on it? I guess so. But I mean, for a solo record, I don't know, you know, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I did, I did a bunch of solo touring, you know, where I just went around and did this kind of house tour, super informal, played to like 20 or 30 people a night. Um, I played at seven o'clock at night. It was pretty easy. <laughs> That's middle age rock and roll touring. Yeah. You know, it's pretty great, you know, cause it's like, it just, you know, it's so much better than playing to 20 people in a backyard is like a hundred, a hundred times better than playing to 20 people in a bar at 11 o'clock at night. <laughs> you know, it's, it's so much, it's like so much easier on the ego, but I, yeah, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I didn't really discuss it with the label. You know, they just, they seem like, I don't think they're, you know, I don't know. I'm, I try to do everything super low impact for the people that put out my record. So no one's losing a lot of money and, you know, so I don't know. I don't want to be sort of forced into, I don't want to, it's just so modest that like, if I don't tour, it's not going to, it's not going to be a devastating thing for them. Pragmatically, you know, I know dinosaur already announced a tour, I think for September. So like yeah. in terms of actually things starting to open up again and people feeling comfortable being out in the world that doesn't leave you really any sort of window between now and then to put on a, you know, a multiple city tour, I would imagine. No, <laughs> I might like, I might look into some backyard shows this year, this summer around, you know, around this area. That might be kind of cool. Where do you live now? Are you living still in New I'm York? still in New York? Yeah. Yeah. You say you're still in the New York area. I consider getting out, but I don't know where I'm in Queens, which is like, obviously this time yeah. last year was really was kind of was, was the epicenter of the world. Oh yeah. So roughly this time last year, so you know, like March April time frame, did you have to cancel? Was did did you pull the plug on the Sebado tour? Oh yeah, couple of couple of Sebado tours, and like but there was one there was one that was supposed to start. It was so crazy. Like we came back from Australia, literally on the run from it. You know, like where they're just like we got into the we're coming into the States and they're like, have you been in Asia in the last two weeks? And it was like, we were actually in Asia like two weeks in a day before that. <laughs> so it's like, like, no, as a matter of fact, <laughs> haven't been in Asia in two weeks, <laughs> but we got in and then our next tour was, was in Europe and there was like a ton of Italian dates. And it was just whenever all that, like, cause remember that was like the kind of big. Yeah. Italy was the wave, I guess, right before us. I think I was due to leave like in five days or something. And I, I, I float. I was the first guy in the band to float the idea. I was like, "Hey, you guys, let's not get stuck in Europe." <laughs> I got an idea. Let's not get stuck in Europe. And then my bandmates are kind of like, "I don't know. We need the money. We got to go on tour." And I'm like, "We're gonna lose a lot of money if we leave on this tour." And then luckily, the booking agency stepped in. But we were. It was, it was like we were five days. I was five days away from fucking going to Logan Airport in Boston, flying to fucking Stuttgart or whatever. It was I guess like early March, I was 
putting on an event in Berkeley. Um, it felt it felt pretty touch and go at the time. You know, in hindsight now, it, like it seems really clear. Like it seems clear that it would have been completely crazy for you have to have stayed on and done the tour. But you know, I think it's it's sort of easy to lose touch with the fact that that it wasn't really. I mean, it was clear that it was bad, and it was clear that it was getting worse. But I don't think that we had any idea of the magnitude of the whole thing at the time. Yeah, I don't know, man. We were like when we were in Australia with Sebado, like our. Our drummer, Bob, was just like, it's the pandemic. <laughs> this is it. <laughs> this is the big one. And I'm just like, I'm like, ah. but we were like, I mean, also we were, in, we were in airports every day in Australia and with like Chinese tourists, I mean, which wasn't in itself like that. That's not, I mean, it's not, it's, it's relevant only in that they were all masked. You know, it originated there and it was moving across the world and in a very clear pattern. Oh yeah. They were like, they, they were like, this is no fucking joke. I mean, there was like, we were at the airport and there's fucking guys in hazmat suits running around. And I'm, I'm like, you know, when I was in Japan, I bought like, I bought like my first bottle of hand, hand sanitizer. I'm like, maybe I should buy this. <laughs> and then it was just like every day we were in an airport for every day. And then I got home and I was like sick. So I don't even know if I had it, you know, I mean, I could have, it's like, I had, you know, whatever I, I had my, I had some fucking weird ass chest pains for like a week and a half. I felt dead tired. I had fevers every night for a couple of, I mean, I didn't know. I was like, this is the worst jet lag ever. I mean, I, <laughs> So you you may have been the one to bring COVID to California. <laughs> well, I went I went back to Massachusetts, but I don't, oh, I don't good. Know. So you brought I, it to I, the East know. Coast. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's it's pretty. Yeah, my wife and I sh- sure didn't feel very well for a week or two. But if it, we had it, it was pretty fucking mild. So, were you in Boston for a chunk of this? No, I've been in Massachusetts for the whole thing. So oh, for the whole thing, okay. Yeah, like in out, oh, but Western Massachusetts, like. Uh, what I mean, I know you're usually based in LA. Is is is, is it just? No, I'm a- not. I'm actually actually no. I I moved from LA five years ago, but I was I was in LA for 17 years. What brought you out to Massachusetts? I mean, obviously you're from there, but what brought I'm you back? There. I I had a I went through a divorce. My first marriage dissolved, and uh, in the wake of that, I I couldn't support two households in Los Angeles, or I I felt I couldn't. I felt that I couldn't support two households in Los Angeles and I thought it would be easier for me to move everybody, you know, like my ex-wife and my, my current wife and my kids and everybody back East where we had family and stuff. I'm from California. I'm from San Francisco originally and live out here now. And over right. the course of like the past, you know, 10, 15 years, I've seen, I've had a lot of friends go back to LA. Yeah. And every time I visit them, they all seem just so healthy. You know, it's like, and, and I don't know how much of it is just like, is New York City, that's part of it. I just feel like we're all just already walking around just angry and pale and mad all the time. But then I go back and visit them and they're like, you know, they've all lost 50 pounds and are super tan. I loved, I, I, I really liked LA and I'd like to go back there. <laughs> I mean, I like California, you know, California is it's pretty awesome. I yeah, I mean, I moved back. I just had like a big, I freaked out. I was like, I can't, you know, I'm going to go broke and I'm going to, you know, and I can't do this. And, and but I, I think in in the end, it's, it's funny. It's almost just like the, the COVID thing when you're, you're through it and you're like, well, I could have, <laughs> you know, like with the onset of something, it seems so impossibly large and, and catastrophic and 
that's what it felt like, you know, when I had divorced my, when I was in the midst of this extremely prolonged and painful divorce and I'm, and, you know, having money issues and stuff. I'm just like, this is insurmountable. And feeling that the, what I had to do was this sort of make this drastic move back. And, but it's kind of funny, like looking back on it, it's, it's almost like just, it's almost the same thing of like, God, remember when I used to wear rubber gloves to fill up the, <laughs> to fill up the, the gas, you know, remember when I remember that feeling of going to fu the fucking supermarket for that first couple of weeks, you know, when you, you wait, I just, you know, just that sense of dread. And, you know, I had that and it scared me away. I'm, you know, it scared me away from California. You know, in some ways I wish I'd, wish I'd just sort of hung in there. I mean, obviously you were established as a musician by the time you moved out there. I know a lot of people, you know, move to like to New York or Los Angeles when they're starting out in their career. At that point and, and at this point in your career, do you feel like where you're located has any impact on your ability to make music? No, I don't think so. I mean, I'd kind of, uh, it would be kind of cool to go back to LA now because I feel like I could probably use it a little more because I just had more. I had actually developed, I'd actually made more friends there and, you know, I'd been there for 17 years. And then when I came back here, it's just like, oh man, I'm back, I'm back East. And I, you know, I don't have friends and I, I mean, I have guys that, you know, look at my band and stuff, but it's, you know, I still, I don't know. I don't have, I don't have friends and stuff. So I, I, it would be kind of cool to be back in LA just cause I feel like uh, one really good thing about coming back here was that it really did focus me creatively and, in a way, I don't, I don't know exactly why, but it, it did. It really focused me creatively and it'd be kind of cool to take that kind of creative focus and go back to LA with that. You know, obviously this is something that a lot of people have been thinking about over the past year, but I wonder how much of it has to do with distraction. You already have to devote a certain portion of your life and your energy to having a family. And then in a place mm -hmm. like LA, you've got all these other things going on. You know, it sounds like perhaps one of the upsides of not really having a social life in as meaningful a way means that you've got time to actually just put your head down and work on stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. And then maybe in some ways too, maybe just the, the winter, you know, the, the feeling of just this, maybe these things are so they, they are actually a real part of me because that's how I, you know, my initial my initial creative bursts were all in this, in this, in, in this climate, you know, and in, and in old houses, you know, like I'm in an old house again with a spooky attic and, and just, uh, you know, LA is, LA is such a sensual, it's a sensual place, really. It's, it was just such a, such a beautifully, beautiful and sensual place. <laughs> and you kind of like, yeah, it's funny just taking that away, you know, where it's just like, you kind of take away all of that sensuality. It's like, you know, the people that you, when you meet people, like when I see friends and stuff, nobody, I mean, like in LA, it's like people just hugged, you know, it was just like, you went, oh, hey, buddy, you know, you're hugging each other and everybody at the supermarket still, still fucking friendly and all this stuff. And you just come back East and it's like, you know, everybody's, just, <laughs> it's just back to that kind of like, it's just funny. It's the social distancing that exists here anyway. Yeah. Puritans kind of pioneered social distancing in a way, I guess. Did. I mean, it's so funny just coming back to this and even just on, in the onset of the pandemic, it's like, is this really that different? <laughs> like, especially up here in Massachusetts. It's like, man, it's like, it's so, this is, it's like, it's almost a relief for people. Like, wow, now I really don't have to, 
I really don't have to deal with you. It sounds like you took to that lifestyle pretty quickly. You know, it, it, it really varies from person to person. Like I know a lot of people who go out to a place like California where people are like generally more just open or friendly and kind of have an aversion to it, but it sounds like you took to it pretty quickly. Yeah, I did. I don't know. I mean, I'm not entirely, I'm not from, I mean, I, I was, I'm from the Midwest kind of originally. So that's got its own stigmas. Yeah. When I moved from the Midwest to Massachusetts, it was shocking when I was a kid. So I, you know, I, I mean, in the Midwest, you're like, I'm, you know, you, I'm from, I'm from Michigan. Woo. Michigan's great. You know, you, you go to Massachusetts, people are like, who gives a shit where you're from? <laughs> Why are you giving a shit that you're from Michigan? I mean, like, it's like, it's, there's all sort of like these ideas of like regional pride and all that seem so they're just they're so it's not cool <laughs> so, so i'd already you know so i don't know when i went to la i was just like i was like oh, you know it's cool it kind of felt more like the south and more so i, I kind of i did take to it I did, I did like that aspect to it and beyond the like productivity do you feel like where you're based has a meaningful impact on on the music itself i mean when you're in a hypothetically happier place do you tend to make happier music I don't know now. I, now I don't know. Cause in, in some ways like LA was a huge blow to my creativity. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I don't know whether that was just the consequence of like my marriage. And I mean, I, I moved, I mean, my move to LA was very traumatic and full of, you know, fucking VH1 behind the scenes drama kind of shit, you know? And I, it took me a long time to kind of come out of a lot of, uh, issues like drug addiction issues and things like that and uh and i think that and sort of the final step of that was actually leaving my my first marriage and then but then when i left the first marriage then it was like i couldn't actually live in california <laughs> because it just felt like i could i wasn't able to man and manage it on a on a financial level i guess that's like now i mean so so much of what's going on in my life now has to do with you know, my second marriage and that really opening up and then um, need, you know, addressing a lot of issues, personal issues that I think have opened me up and made me more creative. So, or at least where I've regained my creativity, I wouldn't, where I just feel like I'm, I'm back in a, in a zone, you know, so I, I'd like to see, I'd like to go back to LA to see. <laughs> <laughs> to see if it's actually make, internal or external. <laughs> I'd like to see if I can maintain this, this sort of creativity in Los Angeles. I know a lot of people, if they, they go through something profound, like a, a, a breakup or a divorce, they want to change other parts of their life, whether it's like moving or like something as silly as like, you know, I guess like cha- changing your hair, or growing your beard, but like, you just want to like, yeah, dude, I grew a beard. you almost want to like make this clean start. And I'm, and I'm wondering like, if that for you, that first marriage was just sort of so tied up in all of those other things that you were grappling with at the time that it just ultimately became just untenable for you. It did. That's exactly what happened. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I mean, it's, I, you know, I've spent a lot of time, especially in the last year, just cause I haven't, you know, I've just been sort of stuck, stuck with myself and thinking and grappling with all of my grappling with all of my own nervous things and it's funny you would say Bell's when you say Bell's palsy because it's like I think that ha- I'm, I kind of I had a 
I had that mildly. <laughs> sort of went, it's possible. Yeah. In my, um, in my, when I was sort of transitioning between like being a teenager, I mean, I think I was like 18 or something when it happened, but I, I do really internalize a lot of tensions and they really, they do affect me physically. And, uh, anyway, just going, just having to go, go through all of these things, finally being sort of forced face to face. Cause usually I can be, what happens in my life is that, you know, I can come to these critical moments. This is why my first marriage went on for as long as it did is I would get to these critical moments and then I'd be like, I got to go on tour. <laughs> you literally escape. I would be literally extracted from the situation. And then, uh, so all of like the momentum of, of these self-realizations that might be building up and the problems that might be building up, the momentum would be broken regularly. And, but, but it did become untenable because it, it, by that point, you're, you're talking 20 years of my life, you know, my entire adult life was sort of wrapped up in a first marriage that was like, you know, that had some real problems and, and, you know, things that I didn't, didn't know how to address. But now it's just funny now, like, I did separate myself. I, you know, had this, this is funny, this whole fucking quarantine and being stuck at home. And it's like going like, Oh, wait a minute. You know, it's, it's not just my first marriage. Actually, it's a lot of personality things that I, I haven't really seen and dealt with. The personality stuff is, I mean, and, and I think it's something that, you know, you'll ultimately probably benefit from that. We've all probably benefited from quarantine. And like you said, like for better, for worse, being alone with your thoughts, but it must be so hard to untangle potential personality issues from both a marriage and drug use, right? Because those are just like, just two, like such incredibly important parts of your identity. <laughs> yeah. It's been really fun. It's been really, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> it's been kind of, kind of, yeah. I mean, like I, it's funny. Cause like even as hellish, I mean, as, I've had some really low moments really really low low paranoid fearful moments during the last year but i think the funny thing is it's like when i come out of all of this i'm just gonna be like you know that was actually pretty good <laughs> that's its own personality flaw though right my wife already busted me on that too like because i'll i just said something like yeah you know it's actually not that bad and she just looks at me and goes like jesus christ <laughs> like, i mean we had you know she, I mean, I, I was, I hit some really, I hit some real lows, you know, over the past year. Yeah. Real lows, but they all, but, uh, yeah, but it's all like introspection shit, which is, you know, it's all stuff where it's like, you know, I, I it's like, you got to figure your way out of this one and it's not drinking and it's not, <laughs> <laughs> there's no escape from this one you're not going on tour next week bud <laughs> you're like, you can't even leave your you can like go for a walk around the block but that's about <laughs> the extent of it right? go for a walk around the block buddy but uh you know you better make better make damn sure you're not hung over tomorrow because if you're hung over you're gonna fucking want to kill yourself so don't do that <laughs> there's an element of like escapism for a lot of people in alcohol and 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 drugs but do you feel like they were also ever really a, a meaningful part of music making for you? Yeah, I had fucking amazing moments. I mean, especially with like, you know, pot. There's some great moments with pot. I've had wonderful moments with just playing with people. And and then, you know, when, when you know, when you can drink like a case of beer, you know, when you're a kid. And... 
and drinking a case of beer with a bunch of, with a couple of friends in a practice space and playing music is amazing. You know, it's fun. Well, I mean, I've had, you know, you know, it's just, it's so cliche. It's all cliche. I mean, it doesn't, you know, but it's, but it's at some point, you know, obviously you can't, you, although actually, some people do it their whole lives. I don't know. Different substances affect people differently. Now that it's, uh, now that weed is legal in Massachusetts, is it, are it, I mean, are, are you just totally cold turkey off of just drugs generally at this point? Yeah. I mean, that, that's the, the true irony. The true, truly funny thing is like, now that it's legal, I don't want it anymore. <laughs> I mean, that's fair. <laughs> it's just like, you know, it's a wonderful thing. I'm like, wow, it's legal, you know? And I, I mean, I did, you know, I think maybe I, I'll probably, I, I can't imagine my life where I didn't return to it occasionally because it, I, I think it's a, it can be a very wonderful experience, especially with, with music, listening to music. And then also just, a, it has a wonderful way of like turning your thoughts inside out, you know, sometimes when you really need your thoughts turned inside out. It's the same with alcohol for a lot of people where it's just like, you can't go to a bar. You can't be around the stuff. You don't want to be around the stuff. You don't want to be tempted. If you feel like smoking weed is going to make you do other stuff, then you should probably not smoke weed. Yeah. I mean, smoking weed always does make me feel like getting like drinking. So I, I mean, at the end of the day, cause it's, cause weed, I mean, especially weed is such, can be such a mental, it can be such an, a really amazing mental journey. And then at the end of that, I'm always like, yeah, why not have some, you know, why not have some wine? <laughs> there's, there's perfect balances. I've had, I've had moments in my life of, of wonder, of perfect balance. And actually, you know, I mean, I don't know, being able to live with, being able to live without it or in, 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 in moderation is, was great too. Probably a lot of those times you had that perfect balance. You were twenty. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It really didn't last too long. It was like, you know, because like the daily pot use. Of, I mean, that's just like that's fucking. I know people. I know people that still do that, and they 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 have like, I mean, they just absolutely will not give it up, and they don't. I mean, and you can't tell them like, well, maybe it's because you're high. And it's like they're like maybe because you're high all the fucking time, and they're like. No, <laughs> it's like you can't tell these people anything about pot. Like pot cures cancer. You're like, okay, but nobody ever wrecked a car on pot. And you're like, yeah, they did. <laughs> Absolutely, they did. And are are you implying that you don't have cancer because you smoke pot every day? Is that the implication there? It's a pretty good argument that it gives you that it actually makes you. You know, but you can't you can't tell people that do it like on a day to day basis. You can't possibly like interrupt them with any sort of like, you know, maybe that's not the best thing for your body or your mind. You know, you just, you can't tell them. How did you just completely kick this stuff outright? Um, I, my, I, I think I, with the quarantine, I mean, I was actually, I had gotten down to just doing like a, I was just taking um CBD. Like I was taking this certain, these certain CBD pills that actually kind of made me high to be perfectly honest. <laughs> they kind of made me high, but it was a different kind of high, but I liked it. But I noticed I was getting extremely paranoid. Like when they would start to come on, I'd, I would get paranoid and there's absolutely nothing worse in the world than being paranoid. I've had the same exact experience where like I could smoke it in college, but yeah. like in recent years I've had more bad ex- And I don't know if it's just like the quality of the stuff once it's legal and you can sort of buy it in California and it's more potent or if yeah. it's just like physio- physiological changes in, that happen over time in your body, but it's just like. I like the idea of this, but I'm not really maybe enjoying it the way I used to. The paranoia just made it untenable. Like you, you use your words. <laughs> I don't. 
I don't use that word very often, but I'm going to use it like seven times today. It's a good word, man. I love it. (laughs) It's a wonderful. This is untenable. (laughs) It was. It was. The next seven record is is untenable. Untenable. I couldn't, but I mean, you know, especially with, uh, I mean, boy, there's nothing worse than being like having a anxiety or being paranoid around when you have children. You're like, oh, fuck this shit. That is like, that is totally unacceptable. That's like that. So anyway, that, that kind of got me off of it. And I just, I have not been able to go. I haven't been able to go back. Not even to just CBD. I just can't, I'd like, can't, I haven't been able to go back. I sort of look forward to the day that I feel like I can, like maybe if I'm on tour somewhere and I'm in a hotel, maybe I'll do it then. But I, you know, if I'm just totally isolated, but I, right now, no fucking way. And it sounds like you've been pretty productive over the past year in spite of everything. Yeah, definitely. I've, I've had a pretty, my wife and I started making these like YouTube, these like little Instagram. Like, uh, yeah. Yeah. Like, like IGTV and YouTube, like little 20, 20, 20 minute, 30 minute little like variety show kind of things, like little specials where we talk and then I play some tunes and I watched the, the uh, St. Patrick's day one the other yeah, day. We, that's been really, that's, that's like a way my wife is, she's a really, she's just got a lot of good ideas. And so we, we just, it's just funny. She's always wanted to, like, even when we got, first got together, she's like, we should do a podcast. And I'm like, I don't want to do a fucking podcast. <laughs> it's like, that's too, that's too much work, you know? And, and, uh, you know, cause then I'd want to edit it and I'd want to do all this stuff and it'll take forever. And then, uh, so I never, we never did that, but then somehow like when Christmas came around, we were just like, just cause we weren't seeing any family and we just started thinking of funny of just shit we could do. And then we're like, let's just make a, let's make a, like a short video. And I love editing video. So it's just like something I, I love, I've always kind of loved to do. And so I was like, fuck yeah, I just, I'll bring, <laughs> I'll bring out all of my, my iMovie, my shitty iMovie skills and we'll, we'll cut together. We'll cut together like a little Christmas card basically for our family. So we did a Christmas one and, and then I, you know, then I was able to record song. I can record songs and it was fun to have just cover songs. And so we got caught up in that and we basically ended up having to do <laughs> every holiday since Christmas. Yeah. I was reading a quote, I think you had around one of those videos and it was like something along the lines of, of the image that people have of you versus, you know, how you tend to think of yourself and, and, and I will say that as somebody who has listened to your music for a long time, when I interviewed you a couple of years ago, I was like, oh, yeah, no, he's a he's a he's a nice guy. <laughs> you know, and, and I think this sort of the implication was that people assume based on your music that you're, I don't know, maybe like a depressive. Is that do, do you feel like the 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 idea that people have of you and who you really are are at odds with one another? Yes and no. I mean. I, I've always thought my music was pretty playful overall. I mean, like, I guess if you were to take all of it into, like, I just thought, you know, just the way that I play around with like home recording and, um, and a lot of my lyrics too, are like, they're, if they're depressing, I mean, I always, they're always like an internal conversation. That's always like me trying to pretty much take the wind out of my own sails. You know, it's, it's me trying to break my own momentum, like, you know, when I sang songs about Jay Mascus or whatever, when I was broke up from the band, those songs were about me overcoming the, you know, those were, I was, I was the ultimate target of those songs, you know, you know, I've always tried to find things that 
I've always made songs that were meant to talk me out of being depressed, really, or putting me face to face with what I was thinking about, you know, to make my internal dialogue, to put it out there for myself to look at and then through that process, be able to distance myself from the really the, the parts of it that could make me a depressed person and that could me could really you know that really did stand and that could stand in my way from being a, a happy person i use my music to be happy like even if it's like depressing or whatever i used it was all of a way for me to overcome problems as opposed to to me like really overly ruminating or justifying you know i i didn't want to be angry at jay mascus <laughs> I wanted to overcome that, you know, and I didn't want to like, you know, feel it, you know, when I got heartbroken or I had something occurred, happened to me, like I didn't want to sit around and feel sorry for myself. I wanted to overcome that. And that's what the songs were. That's what, how, that's how I use music, music, but I can totally understand why people would think that I was depressive. I mean, I can listen to my own stuff now, especially the older I get, the more perspective I have. I'm like, Oh God, no wonder people think it. Older people think all that shit, but but all my initial, you know, my my home record, everything that I started with, my home recording and everything was like full on just fun and experimentation, and so much of what Sebado was was like, uh, you know, really fun, as you know, spontaneous and off the cuff as we could be. That's that's what I remember it as, you know. And we were talking about him. It's like I remember, like, yeah, you know, that's well, that's the day that we drank a bunch of beer in a basement and smoked some weed and recorded onto four track, you know, or that's the day, you know, I mean, I, I have very, my memories of touring with Sebado was and stuff like that is like fun, you know? And, but, um, I don't know. It's funny. You were just talking about like doing these, uh, my kids, my kids, when they found out I was doing these specials, they're like, you better stop dad. People are going to, people are not going to like you anymore. If they see these and I'm like, Wait, 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 wait. So what, what is your kid's perception of how people perceive you? I don't know. I mean, all my, all I know is my daughter told me point blank or my son too, like, no one's going to think that's funny, dad. And you better stop before you lose fans. You better. <laughs> and this is completely unavoidable, no matter how cool you are or were in a past life. Like your kids are not going to think your jokes are, are funny or cool. Right. I mean, that's just generationally how this stuff works. Yeah. I mean, the funny thing is that like a lot of my desire to make YouTube videos is the fact that my son forces me to watch all these YouTube people. And I'm watching, I watch these people like just fucking talk, like watching, making fun of a movie for 25 minutes. And it has like, a, you know, 350 million views. And you're like, like, wow, this shit doesn't matter. I'm like, none of this shit matters. I'm like, this is great. What a, what a wonderfully open fucking what a wonderful thing. What a wonderful time we live in. We're like, you know, where a family can go to a, on a trip to Walmart and record it. And it's fucking, I mean, people are obsessed with it. That's fucking amazing. Like why I should fucking cut together. a God, you know, a fucking do a Valentine's day special with my wife. Why the fuck not? <laughs> you know, it's, a, it's, but my, but yeah, my kids, I don't know. I mean, they're, I don't know. I don't, I don't, they're just funny. I don't know what the, I don't, we, we talk about, we, we listen to music and we talk about it. They seem to, they seem to enjoy my tastes in music. They, they seem to enjoy talking about music with me and playing things for me and asking me about it. So I, that, that's fun. I'm always fascinated with this idea of, of using music to process things, you know, and again, it's something that varies from artist to artist. I, I would say probably 
maybe a majority of the musicians I talk to tell me that there is a certain amount of distance required between them and the thing that they're processing. You know, they, they, they need a bit of a buffer, but it sounds like it's a little bit more immediate for you in that you deal with something, you know, whether it's like the breakup of a relationship or a band and you sort of immediately throw yourself into that songwriting. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't really give myself a lot of distance. That's for sure. I don't, Maybe that's a problem. I mean, I've always, I've always really, I was always so jealous of like pavement, you know, back in the day, be like, damn, you know, you can just, you don't have to like, whatever. You just gotta just, you know. It's just gotta sound good. The words just have to sound good together. It's all about texture. You know, like I really, you know, I'm like, wow, shit, it's really just all about texture. And I, and I wish, you know, I, in some ways, you know, I wish I had that. I wish I had that kind of distance. Or I also wish that I was more comfortable uh, sounding like other things because so much of music really is about borrowing, like literally just outright borrowing or stealing textures and techniques of other, the music that came before you. Because actually when you do do that, it doesn't make you, I mean, I mean, you can, it doesn't mean you're going to sound exactly like that. It just means you're going to, you're just processing it through that filter or whatever. And I just really never, yeah, it's funny. Yeah. I never really had a, I never was, I've never had the filter. I've never had the filter of being able to process it through things that I, other music that I love. I've never done it. I've never had the filter of being able to play it through another style. I've like, I've been very, very adamant about following through on my very specific thoughts. And then also playing to what I consider my specific, you know, guitar strumming styles and singing and, yeah, it's 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 a it's funny to look back on it because I'm just like, did I really have to do? That? I guess it's a, a single from from the new record came out, and and I think I think it was this one that sort of started as a a lyrical fragment from a you know like a basically thirty forty year old song, and something you went back and actually sort of like went out of your way to record on cassette in order to kind of recapture that old that old sound. I mean, is that like? How much of that is you sort of uh, revisiting your past? Well, actually, it's like well, the thing. The thing about those old recordings and and lo-fi in general is like how much I love the way it sounds. I mean, I fucking love it. I mean, it's like when I when I put on a cassette. I mean, it's like I just love. I love something that sounds like it's a transmission. You know, like it's like that. It like it could have come from another planet. I love it when it just sounds. It's like it's like. You know, it's like, you know, I had heard Daniel Johnston quite a, you know, a few years after I had begun my own sort of re- home recordings. But my God, you know, like a Daniel Johnston recording is like such an incredible, like, glimpse into somebody's, I mean, and, and it's, and the lo-fi aspect of it is, is it really, it's, it's integral to it, you know, and even with, you know, sort of those, those great guided by voices records it's like the lo-fi part of it is like it's absolutely a part of it you know and and i think for me it's like unfortunately what happened was i mean i was totally into the lo-fi thing i didn't i mean whatever i mean i put out three records that were heavily you know mostly recorded on cassette and the band got quite popular but by at that point i'd already been doing that for so long that like i was like ready to seize on the opportunity to sort of expand the sound or go to studios. 
But the reality is, had I not done that, <laughs> had, you know, it, had Sebado decided to record the Harmacy record on a fucking four track cassette, it would be like, that record would be, would have sold at this point, like many more thousands of copies because it's such a, it's such a forgiving, you know, it's such a forgiving, it's a forgiving medium, you know, like four track recording. It's like, you know, B thousand by guided by voices. If that was recorded in a studio, it wouldn't be the record that it is. And no one would actually care that much about it. (laughs) It wouldn't even be like, that's not what, I mean, it's, it's the feeling of, 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 of it being a transmission and especially with these like like shorter songs and stuff, it's like it's 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 it makes it more of a it's more vibey for a lack of a better word, you know. And and I but I kind of like I sacrificed the vibe in order to try to step up to the, the budgets that I was being given in the '90s. And I and in a lot of ways, I wish I had had not done that. And so now it's more of like now that it just truly doesn't matter it's like no one's no one's giving me rec- no one's giving me money to make records and i can do whatever the fuck i want so it's like i want i want to hear that i want i want to hear what i want to hear the transmission i want to when i get done with something i want to feel i want it to have that vibe for me you know that's what i want i want to make sure that when i'm done recording everything that i want to that i'm going to record in my life that there's that that in the end <laughs> The transmission, those those feelings of transmissions from another world outweigh the awkward studio recordings. I've never heard anybody contextualize it like that. And I think that that's, it's super interesting and spot on because in the case of Daniel Johnston, it literally, it's like some guy in Austin selling tapes at like something like you, you stumble on, right? Like something like you, you maybe you see this guy in some small club or something and then he walks you back to his his, his car and, and hands you a tape from from his trunk. I tend to think of it as somebody who, when I started doing this, I started doing this on on the radio, and I was really obsessed with um, like AM radio. Yeah, totally. I was so obsessed with AM radio. That was my that was absolute obsession when I was a kid. Like I had a little map of the United States on my wall, and I would like just go right down the dial and find out where every station was and put a little point because AM radio is so amazing. Like you could pick up stations from two thousand miles away on on a clear, on a clear night, you know, amazing. It's a combo of, of being able to pick something up from far away. And then this sort of like bittersweet realization that you might not ever hear that thing again. And that I think like, I think that gets to something and maybe you're, maybe this is something you're getting at. That's something that's sort of lost now, right? That's kind that's something that's lost in the age of the internet when everything is just sort of available online all the time is stumbling on something that in that way and realizing that you just may never see or hear that thing again. Yeah. I hate that. <laughs> I hate the feeling of never being able to hear something again. So actually, but it makes way, it special though, right? It does. But, but, but I'll tell you, it's like what, what I think is so fucking cool about now is that like the, the amount of things that are opened up to you are just so incredibly vast that like, I mean like fucking last night, I don't, Somebody posted something on a face one of these Facebook groups I'm a part of, and it was this instrument called the com the K O M U Z. I don't know how you pronounce it. The Kamuz. It's this three stringed instrument, and like, and it's in this and it's this part of <laughs> I don't know. It's like Zergistan. It's not. It's like it's below Kazakhstan and right on the border of China. 
Something and, that may have been in the Soviet Union at some point. Yeah, it was definitely in the Soviet Union at one point, but it's very, it's very sort of Middle Asian. You know, it's, uh, but they were. Kurzakstan? Is it Kurzakstan? It's not Kurzakstan. It's one that I'd never, no, you can't even pronounce It's like, it's, maybe it's Kurzakstan. I don't know, but it, it could be Kurzakstan. Is Borat anyway, from there? But that, it, no, it's not that. It's not, because these people are, the, the people are more, they're more. Asian, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Mongolian almost. Yes. But anyway, there's this fucking instrument and like the whole thing is like based on strumming. That is what it is. It's strumming. And then like, and it's mostly played by like, like dozens of people at the same time playing the same thing on this three stringed instrument. And I'm like, holy, it was like, I spent an hour like just listening to this music and going like, oh my fuck. I had no idea it existed. It's like drone music. No. It is, but it's not. It's like, it's actually quite like, it's, it sounds like, I mean, you know, it reminds me, I took it sort of personally because it reminds me of the, my earliest recordings because I played them on three strings and it was all about strum, strumming fast and like imitating hardcore punk rock, but on three strings on with a, you know, totally different tuning. So it sounds like, again, it sounds like it's coming from some other world, you know, but these people, there was a net and there was another. <laughs> One of the performances was a thousand people playing exactly the same thing on this three string instrument. And I'm like, my God, like what a wonderful time. I mean, I had no idea that this existed and I just, and the fact that it was all based on strumming and it was, and they used the instrument, they clicked their hands on the instrument as they're playing it. And I'm like, I had never, so as much and then again it, it just feels like i mean just that feels like the transmission you know it's like it's like oh my god what is that it's from literally like the middle of asia and, and the songs are like they were explaining what the songs were about like well this song is about one bird speaking to another about how it wants to make a home in this tree and the other I, whatever i love the fact that I, if on spotify there's shit on spotify that you may never find there's stuff on spotify that i'm never going to find <laughs> it's like i'm never gonna find it unless like there's just some i I, it's just this stuff amazes me like it's all still there's still that sense of mystery is still there there's still there's still a dig to be done there's still like and um i was listening to you on spotify today and i had never noticed this but like obviously any artist of any note at all has a a this is list on Spotify, yeah. like yeah. basically a Spotify curated yep. playlist. And Luke Barlow has a, no, this is Luke Barlow. <laughs> yeah, I made Which that. appears to have been made by Luke Barlow. <laughs> and what I want to, what was that first playlist not getting about Luke Barlow? Just how weird some of my shit is, I guess. I don't know. Like, it's not my best stuff. Like the list that I made is like, that's actually a pretty short list of what I think my best recordings are. I mean, that's like that I, that I personally think are, are among the most interesting things that I've done. They're, they're, they're the, you know, I mean, it's just one of those things. Like, like I just, I make that list going like, God, I just, I fucking, I just want some fucking 13 year old to hear that. You know, I don't, <laughs> I don't care. I don't care if they, if they hear like fucking rebound or, or, you know, I mean, those are all, all good stuff. I mean, Sebado at their peak, you know, whatever, but I'm like, I want to, I want to get somebody to hear something that like, like, like what we're talking about. I want to hear, I want somebody to find something and hear because I feel like the best, my best recordings are things that sound like, like what we're talking about. Like, 
like just an un, like an unusually intimate moment captured in an, an, an un, in like in an untraditional way and like a capture and 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 that is has a has a texture that that like maybe someone wouldn't have expected you know and or when you do it when you're anything everybody knows this by now it's like any it, it, it's like what we really look for is something unique you know we look for something that like that that um that someone we we look for we look for the ex the things that are make something eccentric those those are really the things like that make things interesting to everybody and it's actually becoming even more and more like that the more unusual something is the better the more people are attracted to it which was always my belief it's like the more unusual something is the more the better it is but of course that was not a popular viewpoint everybody wanted to sound like the same thing it's like it's it's like and it always happens that way. It's like, you know, My Bloody Valentine came out and then a million My Bloody Valentine sounded like bands happened. Pavement came out, a million bands that sounded like Pavement came. But in the end, it's like the stuff that really sounds really unique is what people really like. And I think that's actually why people, why there was this, I mean, not to mention Ariel Pink, because I know he's very controversial now, but but his records are fucking weird. And that's why people liked it. Even that guy fucking Mac DeMarco, his stuff is weird and people liked it because of that. And so I, I've, felt like this incredible i've i felt like a lot of like i felt a real resurgence of hope in the lot like when the aughts hit and people started to really and bands started to sound unique like even a band like grizzly bear really unique sound like they're doing unique things they're creating things that you know and it, and it has that aspect it has a feeling of a transmission even if it even if it's a you know, uh, Unknown Mortal Orchestra was another band that happened in the aughts where I was like, this is a really unique sounding band. And and that actually, the fact that those, the more unique the band sounded, the more fucking plays they have on Spotify and the more that people seem to be attracted to it. So, you know, I, I just, I guess I would, since I, I would just sort of take it in my own hands and go like, well, you know, I actually have, a, I've done a lot of stuff that only I could do, you know, I don't know. It's, it's unique to me. No one's done. I'm I'll just going to go out on a limb and say that no one's made anything that sounded exactly like this. You know, that's all. It's like, it's a little bit different, you know, and that, and I, I would like, I would like kids, someone, some kid to stumble upon that just the way that like how I stumbled upon the really, the stuff that sounded incredibly unique to me when I was a kid, like, you know, the first time I heard fucking, the velvet underground, you know, back when the velvet underground were truly still unknown and still something that was like very unusual and was not played in the supermarket, you know, you know, that's, that's, that was the, these, these little gems that are just sort of hidden throughout musical history, you know, like of, of, you know, Hazel Atkins, people who've just all these incredibly unique, unique, unique people, you know, unique sounds and, and then, you know, and then you compound that with like, you know, archival field recordings from fucking other countries with music, like instruments you've never, didn't even know existed. <laughs> like all that, it's like that stuff, that stuff really excites me. And I guess that really is where my, that's really, that's where I want my music to sit someday with somebody. <laughs> <laughs> 